the glory days are here to say the 80s horror show. Take a stroll down memory lane, it's time to start the show. The gory days, the gory days, the gory days, the gory days. The gory days. Welcome to the gory days, the show where we take a stroll down memory slain to remember our favorite horror movies from the 1980s and beyond. It's almost Halloween, ladies and gentlemen. Kyle Leone here, your host for another week, and what a week it is. Today I am talking about The Purge. Not the movie, but the TV show, the first season of the USA uh, Network TV show The Purge that came out in 2018. <laughs> I mean, I could be doing Lovecraft Country, but that's a little too popular. Why don't we stick with a movie, a TV show from two years ago? I was surprised to learn how connected the Purge franchise was. I was under the impression that someone came up with the you know initial idea of The Purge, which is pretty open and high concept and you could apply it to like all kinds of different genres honestly the world always interested more than the movies were but that's just it is the purge movies are all about uh people trying to survive a night while everyone's going crazy 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 if you don't if you have no idea what the purge is don't worry i'm gonna get uh into all of that but why don't we talk a little bit more specifically about what uh who who is the purge i was surprised to learn that all four purge movies were written by the same person and the first three were all directed by james demonico so the purge is effectively the brainchild of one person james demonico who came up with this idea jesus the first purge came back came out in 2013 and 2013 was a very, very different world here in America, politically, socially. It was a very, very different world than it is today. And uh, once again, I'm, I'm looking forward to discussing how the idea evolved. But like I said, it was created by James DeMonico. Let's talk about how this TV show happened. I remember hearing about the Purge TV show and not really caring. I remember thinking oh, I hope that they, like, explore some of the things that I'm more interested in, which is, like, if the Purge... If this is a world where the Purge is a thing and everyone in the United States agrees to doing it, or at least there's, like, government influence, then what else is real? What else is happening in this world, like, globally or just uh, on the ground? Like, I was always more interested in white-collar crime... I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's just talk about what The Purge is, in case you don't already know. So, in an alternate 2014, following an economic collapse, so that's the thing, The Purge is always set in the near-distant future. Uh, set, so, in an alternate 2014, there was a massive economic collapse and rising social unrest, which led to a new political organization, in addition to the Republicans and Democrats, a new organization arose called the New Founding Fathers of America. Subtle, right? The Founding Fathers, talking about some kind of like constitutional fundamentalism. So the New Founding Fathers of America, or NFFA, is the big bad of the purge world. They're the ones that instigated the purge and... Um, well, let's just get right into it. They were formed and voted into office. So the organization quickly established a tutorial. A yeah, that's a hard word to say. A totalitarian government and police state, which, again, is really disturbingly prophetic of 
what's happening in the world right now. So the new founding fathers of America in 2016 devise a plan to help stabilize American society because naturally they've been voted into office. Uh, they're also the ones making the, the reports and, and, uh, analyzing the studies and going, hmm, American society is tearing each other apart, or it's on the verge of that. How do we stabilize America? And so they came up with The First Purge, which is, I think, the third movie. (laughs) The fourth movie. The one that I was most interested in, but yeah, and I feel like they kind of knew it. The First Purge in 2017 took place on Staten Island, New York, which was blocked off from all contact and it was really a social experiment of, of uh, walling off Staten Island and providing monetary compensation, five grand, to anyone who decided to stay on the island for the night. So 10 years before this TV show takes place, the first purge happened on Staten Island, New York. Then after that, after the first purge happened and everything was great, In this alternate world, the 28th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was ratified, and this amendment established a 12-hour event known as the Purge. And so that's when it happened, in an alternate 2017, after a test on Staten Island to see how it would work, they ratified the 28th Amendment to create the Purge. So the Purge is, every year on March 22nd, for some reason, from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., all crime is legal. And they always make the little announcement of like, all crime, including murder, will be legal for the next 12 hours. Like they have to go out of their way to remind people to just kill each other instead of rob or embezzle. So it's interesting. Within the series of the film, within the fictional world, The Purge has actually resulted in um, crime and unemployment rates dropping. Uh, I think there's a throwaway line in one of the mo- uh, movies Uh, I don't think it's this TV show, but in one of the movies, they say that it's plummeted to 1%, 1% crime and unemployment rates. And it's nice to be able to throw that number around, but obviously uh, you're left to make your own conclusions about like why that is. And so like, just to pull the veil back, if you haven't figured it out yet from just me describing it, the purge is, you know, supposed to be this like, um, event of catharsis for, uh, citizens of America to get out all of their like anger and frustration on this one night so that they can, you know, keep it all pent up for that one night that they're going to get to let it go. And then they can live the rest of the year, 364 days, totally fine following every law because, you know, it's not purge night. we got to follow the rules. We're law-abiding citizens. But what it actually is, pretty plainly, is like a way to offload exterminating the poor. Um, it's a thinly veiled way for the new founding fathers of America and, you know, whatever they represent to uh, control the population. It's population control. Um, it's, you know, unemployed, poor, slum neighborhoods uh, with working class people are usually the ones that are killing each other. And, and that's The Purge. So let's get into what this show is. So that's the idea of The Purge. And the movies examine it in all kinds of different lenses. The first one is kind of um, like a home invasion. The second one takes it more out onto the streets. Election year takes it to the people who are in charge making The Purge. Today, we are talking about The Purge Season 1. I haven't gotten into Season 2 yet, but 
I guess for the sake of the podcast, I, I was um, on Hulu and they like, you know, they always suggest things for you. And especially during Halloween time, they'll suggest scarier things. And so The Purge popped up and I saw a synopsis for season two. So season one, the one that I'm talking about tonight is a purge night. It's a 10 episode run and the whole ep- it's from 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. The show ends when the purge ends. The show begins when the purge begins or at least like uh, maybe a day beforehand. And then it ends when the purge ends. But season two starts the day after the purge. So the show season two examines how the hell a society is supposed to just get back to normal on a regular like Tuesday or whatever the day it is after the purge when like your neighbor could have been murdered or your boss was like uh, assassinated last night or or God, maybe your like place of business was bombed, which is way more interesting to me. I've seen enough versions of people running around in the streets like with chainsaws or those like light up masks that are so popular now because of this franchise. I am much, much more interested in the world that The Purge exists in. Like what kind of world would accept The Purge? Other countries have to work with us. That would shift like the the uh the GDP. It would it would it would be a major event every year for the entire world, not just those participating in it. And so I'm really fascinated to uh, pick up with season two. Unfortunately, I believe season two does not follow the same characters. It's an anthology in that way where the first season is a set of characters and the second season is brand new, totally unrelated characters uh, going through their own event. And so I'm really looking forward to that, but let's see what happened in this first season with my first segment. What the hell just happened? So this first season follows several seemingly unconnected characters as as they go through and, and try to survive Purge Night. So I guess you could say that we're broken up into three or four main stories that over the course of the show will start to like intertwine and connect in a really lazy way, frankly. So Miguel is a Marine played by Gabriel Shavaria. A Marine, Miguel, is searching for his sister, Penelope, who's joined a death cult. Penelope, played by Jessica Garza. So let's just focus on them right now. Yeah, that sounds like a good uh, way to do this so that I don't belabor you with a bunch of names and actors. So Miguel and Penelope were actually children in Staten Island during the first purge. Let me get this out of the way also. I'm doing you a favor. I'm telling you what happens in this TV show in a straightforward, linear way so that you don't have to sit there and suffer through flashback after goddamn flashback, revealing some new thread uh, that I never would have known that totally changes what I would expect the characters to do. That got so annoying. They do it so much with the couple uh, that I'll get to later, but it's just, it's maddening. They did it with Miguel and Penelope with this little, uh, wrinkle that, oh, they were actually the first, one of the first people involved in the purge 10 years ago. And we see that flashback where, uh, it's them as kids living with their parents and some government guy shows up and is explaining what's going to be happening. And here's a check for $5,000. And then another flashback where of course they were purged. And the poor kids, like, watched from the closet and survived and now hate the purge. 
But bizarrely enough, Penelope, once again through a million goddamn flashbacks, became a drug addict. Um, it's just because she was dating a terrible guy. Um, what was his name? Henry? It doesn't matter. She was t- dating a terrible guy who was getting her addicted to drugs, and he was a piece of shit. And Miguel knew it and beat him up. Uh, long story short, she checked herself into rehab to get to kick the drug habit, and was naturally easy pickings for a cult that, once again, without wasting four episodes wondering what it is, it's a cult that's directly associated with the new founding fathers of America to scoop up undes- uh, um, uh, what is the word? Uh, disposable people, people in uh, like halfway houses and rehab and um, like uh, I can't think of another place, but places that they've that the government has deemed people like disposable or prisons, I guess would be another thing. But uh, it's she's in rehab and she's trying to she's trying to get better and she's preyed on by this cult that scoops her up. And it's a death cult that delivers people to purge and it's funny when i when i figured out what it was i was totally under the under the impression that they were going to be delivered to like a big fancy party and and it was going to be more structured than that but it's literally oh hey you're a part of our cult here's the deal you're supposed to die but you're a gift you're a gift to people on purge night. Isn't it awful that all those people in the world have so much hate built up inside them all year? And isn't it great that you can provide a release for that anger in your life? What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful symbiotic relationship we have. And that's the death cult is that their lives are gifts. And so when you reach maturity or full brainwashed state, I assume, they put you on a bus and drive you around town to just literally like pick you at random and say, okay, it's your turn. Get off the bus and just kind of stand there and people don't, don't worry. They'll find you. (laughs) And sure enough, they do. So Penelope, after seeing her friend, uh, like get second thought, she ditches the death cult to my surprise. She was like the most, uh, indoctrinated. She ditches the death cult, gets caught by one of these fucking carnivals. (laughs) I'm so This is the part of the purge that I am not that interested in. This fantasy where there's like big structured events with staff members and like tickets and um, seating. There's there's like an auction where people are auctioning off, um, I I guess, other purge people. Can I just make an aside to say like it's so weird that anyone – I mean – the one of the larger themes that I'm going to get to later is this like white supremacy, and it's it's not directly stated at any point. And I really would have appreciated it if it had been. But a lot of the people in like the cages and stuff at this carnival are non-white, and the majority of the staff members and people in charge of the carnival or whatever this is are white. But that's never explicitly like. It's nothing. And there's a couple of white people in the caged area who get lines and stuff. So it'd be really easy for a viewer to not think about that. But I noticed it. And, and you know, it's not a subtle theme of the purge in general. Uh, so Miguel is going around town. He's trying to find his sister. He does a bunch of bullshit. Doesn't matter. Eventually, he meets this guy named Pete the Cop who is one of the most more confusing problematic characters cuz he's an ex-cop who's who's 
who's actually good. I guess the fact that he's not on the force anymore. So he was a cop who was um, who didn't like that his other cops were using Purge Night to enact justice without you know the law getting in the way, which is like. Pete, what the fuck? That's the whole point of Purge Night. What? You're not cool with cops going out and murdering people on Purge Night? So he started to make a fuss about it, um, and his, like, superiors, you know, threw out cases, and and he he quit the force, or maybe he was, like, discharged or whatever, but he's an ex-cop that everyone on Purge Night respects, and there's all these, like, um, allusions to... Uh, tradition and he's untouchable and oh yeah nobody touches Pete the cop like there's this um, they keep talking about it like it's a yearning for uh, rules or for structure in unstructured and anarchy like this people's natural inclination is to like scramble for rules and so Pete the cop is one of those rules that feels like the show the whole time is setting him up to get killed because everyone's like oh can't touch him, can't touch him. You're waiting for somebody to say, like, I don't give a fuck, and shoot him anyway, but that never happens. So Miguel makes friends with Pete the Cop, who's got an unreasonable amount of resources, and Miguel eventually finds Penelope at the carnival. Uh, He rescues her. They go back to Pete the Cop's bar, which, again, is another building that's off-limits, and everybody knows that, except our main character, of course. But then Penelope is like, oh, I have to save the other people on the bus, the other death cult people. They don't know what they're in for. Uh, And that's a whole thing. They end up saving them, but uh, they get caught in that. I'll tie that in. That's how they tie into all the other characters. So let's move on to the second of the three stories that make up the show, which is Jane Barber. My favorite story Uh, Played by Amanda Warren, Jane Barber is an executive who works in finance who uses the purge as an opportunity for revenge. So there's this um, business that is like, oh, sorry, everybody. This is the only night that Japan, this company in Japan, was able to talk to us. And we have to get the deal closed tonight on purge night. Sorry, everybody. I know you'd rather be (laughs) home safe but I need you all to work here. And so there's like security on the floor to make sure that they're safe. And uh, yeah, they close the deal. It's great. But it turns out that Jane has a hit out on her boss. So that's right. Jane, um, I guess before the purge, maybe even the same day, organized a assassin to take out her boss, David Riker who through a million and a half flashbacks is revealed to be a sexist womanizing um, boss who dangles opportunities in front of Jane only to give them away to prettier white ladies. So Jane naturally is taking um, matters into her own hands. She gets cold feet and she runs out into the purge to try to get to her boss's house before the assassin. Um, She gets to her boss's house and then surprise, the boss killed the assassin she he overpowered her i guess or whatever the assassin didn't work so jane wasted her money if you ask me and then it's revealed that david Riker, her boss has this basement purge event where beautiful women are chained up in these little light boxes and all these men with cocktails are walking around cooing at them and feeling them up while they go like uh, uh, stop it it's really gross but david is not but and david the boss is like All the women here know the rules. As long as they don't make a fuss, they leave at the end of the night unharmed. 
And so he's just got this like weird, disgusting madman room speakeasy where all these men come down and act like it's the fucking 60s or 50s and feel up these women against their will. And it's one of the harder shots to watch when David Riker played by Billy Baldwin. <laughs> That's right, the same Billy Baldwin from Backdraft. Uh, when Billy Baldwin is like, kissing her neck and really like moving up on her and she is crying and she's openly showing how much she hates it and again flashback city turns out despite her intelligence and her uh, degrees her mother throughout her life constantly told her that the only thing that's going to get her ahead in a man's world is her body and if she doesn't work on her goods and showing off that stuff then what's the point and so her mom made her kind of hate her body. And now here she is under the exact kind of microscope that she was talking about. But then she gets freed by uh, a Punisher guy, once again, tying everyone together. I'll get to there in a second. He, uh, she gets freed, shoots her boss like right through the head. He's unarmed, defenseless on the ground. But after everything he's done, I was glad she did it. And um, yeah, so that brings us to the third story of our... Uh, or, yeah, the third story. So that brings us to the third story of The Purge, which is Jenna and Rick Betancourt. Uh, Jenna is played by Hannah Emily Anderson, doing a phenomenal job, honestly. And Rick, played by Colin Woodell. They are married entrepreneurs who attend a Purge party to seek investment capital from a wealthy Purge supporter. So Jenna and Rick work in real estate, I guess, and they're ready to do good. They want to go to this rich, fancy party so that they can schmooze with all these horrible, terrible people so that they can get money. They think as long as we get the devil's money, we can do good with it. And then everything evens out in the end, right? Wrong. Anyway, the party is, sure enough, a new founding father's party. Uh, and it's the Stanton House, and we hear it throughout all the other stories. Everybody knows about the Stanton House and the party that they have on Purge Nights, this huge event. And so it's a big deal that these two got invited. Um, and it's an even bigger deal because of, once again, a fucking flashback. It turns out that one of the Stantons canoodled with them. That's right. There was a threesome. Who knows when? But there was a three, I guess at least nine months ago. <laughs> there was a threesome between Jenna and Rick and Lila Stanton. So Lila Stanton, Rick, and uh, Jenna all got together and effectively made a baby. There's some throwaway lines that like Rick couldn't get it up for Jenna and needed Lila and stuff like that. And... It's a really interesting, bizarre dynamic of a rich person inserting herself into the lives of these, these two people who, like, what choice do they have? Of course it's fun, but if they ever want to stop, then they're shutting themselves off to, like, an entire uh, investment opportunity or maybe even, like, uh, millions. Who knows? And so that's one of the, the stories that I don't identify with with my personal life but was the most engaging Still, though, of course, Jane was my favorite story. Anyway, they go to the Stanton house. Of course, they, um, you know, sit down with the dad, with the with Mr. Stanton, Albert, played by Reed Diamond, to negotiate the terms of the deal. And, of course, when the deal is made, it's like, let's celebrate. And they bring in a dude, and it's like, yeah, let's kill him. Oh, oh, you don't want to kill him? Okay, fine. I'll do this one. Bang. And they're like, oh, no, what have we done? We got to get out of here. 
long story short, it's it's freaking awesome. The maids and cooks and basically all of the help that worked at this party slaughter the rich people. It's a revolution, and it's mostly off screen. I'm reminded a lot of times that this is a USA show <laughs> playing around with an R-rated uh, IP, but there's a lot of stuff that happens off screen and a lot of screaming and people just kind of running around. But yeah, the rich people are being absolutely slaughtered, eaten, if you will, by the help, which is amazing. Um, the two of them, Jenna and Rick, get away and get all the way back to their house where they are, they're safe and sound. But Lila's at the door. She made it all the way from the house somehow, and she wants to get in before she dies. So they let her in. They close the door behind her. And then it's this long fucking psychosexual descent into Lila and Jenna having this really like strong heart to heart about how Lila wants Jenna to leave Rick so that they can raise the baby together. And of course, Rick and Jenna are talking like, no, Lila's got to get out of here. And of course, eventually Lila tries to kill Rick. Jenna kills Lila to save her husband. And then they're kidnapped by the Punisher guy. So who is this mysterious Punisher man I've been referencing who shows up at the end of all of these stories? Well, prepare to be disappointed. It is Joe. It's our good friend Joe Owens, played by Lee Turgeson. He's been walking around all night as this armored, masked guy who drives through town apparently, like, intervening and saving people. He keeps, like, stopping purge violence. And the whole time he's listening to this, like, um, motivational life coach. I, th I thought it was a podcast or something, but I guess it's, like, a private tape um, that other people are aware of. Bill Simmons? That's not a real person, is it? Oh, well. Joe Owens, um, through 6,000 flashbacks, we reveal, worked at... Well, that's the thing, is his story is connected to every person's story. So he's been going around, intervening in characters' stories into their lives and stopping purge violence from happening to them on the auspice that he's saving them. But the big reveal in the last few episodes is that he's collecting all of them to put them in a cage inside an auditorium that he's rigged from the inside and outside to be completely explosive and trap filled. So no one can get in, no one can get out. And believe me, a few of them try. So the characters that we've got locked up in that cage are Rick and Jenna are in there. Jane is in there. Penelope is in there, but Miguel is not. He's on the outside trying to figure out a way to get in with Pete the Cop. Some random woman named Paige. A woman, oh, Paige, played by Kelly Murtaugh. A woman by the name of Eileen, played by Allison King. And Charlie, played by Garrett Kruthioff. And so he, Joe has set up a trial, a mock trial of sorts, where he's going to have each person come out of the cage, sit in a chair, and Joe is going to show them a bunch of like slideshows and uh, videos and texts and pictures and uh, effectively evidence to prove that whoever this person is ruined Joe's life. And it is Joe's right on purge night to take revenge. And then he'll be clean and ready to start his life free from all of this baggage. Right, because that's how the purge works. That's basically what all the characters are telling him. It's like, that's, that's, nothing's going to happen, dude. You're not going to feel any better. The purge doesn't work. It doesn't make people better. It makes bad people worse, and it makes good people a little worse. <laughs> 
So Charlie apparently bullied Joe um, when he was a kid. Charlie dies. Pay or um, Eileen was uh, one of the people who like shut down the factory that Joe worked at. Uh, Jane went on a date with him. This is it's my favorite one. J- uh, <laughs> Jane's crime against Joe <laughs> is leaving a date early. They went on a blind date, and they make all of these references about swiping, but they can't say Tinder um, or whatever. But they met on a dating app. They went out. And Joe is this, like, he's this believable, obtuse racist like and he's the kind of guy who's like who would defend himself and say like how is that racist i'm not trying to be offensive it's a compliment kind of shit like he's they were talking about how like oh it's funny how pictures are never exactly what they look like and she makes a joke about how like oh yeah like for instance yours i thought you'd be younger he's like well it's the best picture i have and for yours, I thought you were going to be, like, loud and sassy, but you're not, and it's great. It's like, fucking what, dude? And I'm so proud of Jane. Um, her character does not bend once, and unfortunately, she does die for it, which I'm pissed about. I don't think I, I can justify why from a just, like, narrative standpoint. Okay, Jane committed she she committed murder so that means that you know she's not going to get to live that's just how tv at this caliber works that if you do something bad you must be punished by the end or else people on twitter will assume that you're trying to like say bad people are good so in the difference between jenna who spoiler alert doesn't die uh she killed in self-defense to save her husband and you know ostensibly herself and her baby she's pregnant <laughs> Whereas Jane murdered out of revenge, which sucks. Oh, I mean, the fact that she gets killed herself sucks. Murdering out of revenge for that asshole Billy Baldwin, I, I don't agree. But um, Rick and Jenna, so he was a contract. After, he, after Joe lost his job at the factory that got shut down because of Eileen, he made his own security company uh, installing purge security things for, for businesses. See, that's another like industry that would only exist because of purge night is like human sized cages or like traps in your house and shit like that. Uh, anyway, he, um, he was, uh, contracted to build on one of Rick's like, you know, newest buildings or whatever. And he, and he stiffed him. Rick stiffed Joe right at the very end. After he'd completed everything, he said, we're not paying you because you did shoddy work and there's a loophole in your contract. And so that's why they're here. And Ross, I mean, um, Joe is putting Rick on blast here and makes Jenna hold a gun up to Rick's head and says, fine, you kill him. And the gun's not loaded. Bunch of TV shit like this. Anyway, Penelope gets loose from her uh, bindings and grabs a screw and threatens Paige's uh, life, but she's pretending to, just so Joe will get into the cage, and uh, that's how they escape. Miguel has found his way inside by this time, and it all comes to a head when Rick is stabbed and dies in Jenna's arms while Pete the Cop just kind of watches on and tries to explain, oh, you got to put pressure on it. And uh, Miguel makes his way inside. Miguel and Pete the Cop made their way inside. And it's Penelope and Joe in this, like, uh, pool. I guess it's more than an auditorium. I guess it's a high school. Miguel runs in, and it's like, oh, my gosh, the purge is going to end any second. Is Joe going to get it? No. The purge siren starts happening. The first purge siren. And he's like, back. 
No, it's so close. It's so close. Oh, well, that's the end of Purge Night. I guess I'll see you next year. <laughs> I'm a law-abiding citizen, so I'm like, that's it. I, I tried to kill you, but haha, I just couldn't. Um, all right, that's it. Uh, Want to go get breakfast? And of course, Penelope and Miguel are like, what? Bang! And they shoot him right there, and he falls into the pool. And uh, when they come out, it's Jenna and Pete the Cop, and Pete the Cop's like, oh yeah, I heard the gunshots before the purge siren went off. You get what I'm saying? It's like, Jesus Christ, that was so freaking obvious. How many extra, like, 10 or 12 murders happen during the siren? It's like basketball, right? If the siren was going, that means I have until the sirens stop, right? But no, Joe is like, oh, first sound, first siren. There's like 10 sirens, but the first one, I'm out. I lost. I'm done. And that's the purge. That's that's the that's the the purge TV show. So now finally I can uh, talk about some of these themes that are happening throughout the thing. I mean, let's just talk about the purge right off oh, in my segment that's called Screaming Themes. So let's just talk about the purge. I mean, the purge on its surface is a satire. It is a action horror suspense satire that's commenting on class and gun culture, at least it was. The first few movies, the first three films were released under an Obama America. So what I find super interesting is since the race to the 2016 election, which was obviously extremely controversial and fraught with a million fucking campaigns of misinformation, the metaphor of the NFFA's like attitude and what they represent is completely eroded and is much more just Trump-like white supremacists. Like, it's obvious when you walk into the Stanton house, there are zero people of color. The only people of color are the help. Every rich person in that room is a white per- is a wealthy, older white person. And it is palpable how the commentary that they're making. And I think it's so funny that anyone could sit down and, uh, to, to watch any version of this uh, franchise and think to themselves like, man, the birds looks like fun. They're making fun of you, you fucking idiot. God, the per- like Rick and Morty has done it at this point. The purge has been around for seven, almost eight years. Like it's it's distilled by this point into uh, its hardest like um, nuggets of satire, which is. Gun violence is fucking stupid. Gun control, like gun culture, is fucking stupid. If you think giving teachers more guns will create safety, then you are the target of the writers of The Purge. The fantasy of The Purge should have stayed a spooky satirical commentary on the ludicrous extremes of class politics and gun control, but instead has become this horrifically plausible future much less outlandish than it initially was. This crazy idea of people running around killing each other and it's legal, Uh, which brings up the other theme is this idea that just because it's legal doesn't make it right. And it's so annoying how like um, Penelope says that at the very end, like it's the thesis statement of the whole show. Like I get it, but I want to talk about it here because just because something is legal does not mean it's the right thing to do. That's how you end up with the fucking Panama papers and corruption at a level that is destroying the world from the inside out. Just because it's legal 
doesn't make it right. Just because you're allowed to murder your boss or strangle your husband or kick your uh, dog, that doesn't mean it's right. And so you see it throughout the show. You've got Joe going around thinking that it's his right. You have these people who believe it's their right to purge. It's their right. Like a fucking gun right. And it's like taking away people's rights is almost as bad as taking away their rib cage. They're on the same playing field here, buddy. Uh, I, I, wa- I want to move on to the other one, which is eat the rich. Mainly the revolutionaries that slaughter the attendees at the Stanton party. In my opinion... The Purge represents an idea of the ultimate Republican, conservative, alt-right, like, ideal world collapsing and imploding toward them. It's a world where, I think it's referenced in Purge election year, where they say, like, no one is exempt, not even government officials or senators or presidents. And this idea that on purge night, anyone can take out the rage and it will make America more stable. In my opinion, it feels like a subtext of America itself venting its rage and getting some of its catharsis, getting some catharsis out of one night. And just imagine that if instead of the individual being put, the impetus being put on the individual to purge for themselves, instead of thinking locally, they thought more nationally. And it was more, I mean, it was more of what the purge is supposed to be. Instead of poor people killing poor people, it would be poor people getting together and killing the things that are actually ruining their lives. Instead of the symptom, you kill the disease. And so the revolutionaries that eat the rich at that Stanton party are probably my favorite segment and the least represented and the least like uh, repercussions. Every single person at that party has like several companies beneath them that are going to expect them to show up to the board meetings. <laughs> and they're dead. They're all dead. That is going to shift the, um, the stock market, if nothing else. I wanted to touch on this issue that I had personally watching it, which is how do you muddle, how do you get around muddling your message for the sake of making an entertaining product? Because at the end of the day, all of these people have jobs. All of the people who work on this show, it's a job. And they want it to do well so that more people will work with them. Like, it makes sense to make a thing that won't actually rock the boat too much. Or if it does, rock as few boats as possible and just kind of be this, you know, middle-of-the-ground, moderate scattershot so that the most people possible will go to USA and watch it. But there's obviously the other half of the scale is the intent of the message and the product and the overall themes like I've been talking about. And you can't take one step into the purge without addressing class politics and gun control and the ridiculous like adherence that guns make things safer and that arming citizens will make people feel safer and that venting anger and keeping it pent up until like an apparently approved situation like being in the military 
And so I wonder, like the purge itself, the purge, the idea of the purge and the franchise is an awesome vehicle for taking shots at the government. But ultimately, that it's hard to to back up that statement because, you know, the promise of money means making as few audience members think about like class stuff, I guess, as possible, but leaving it in there for further discussion. It's an interesting thing that I've wrestled with as the purge like become has become more and more popular. I've kind of looked forward to what's the word? Like a more cemented message. Like it the fact that I can still at the end of a purge movie imagine that there are people who thought that's cool and would be a good idea. Like it feels it feels like the promise of money means making a few too many audience members think the purge is cool, um, if not simply fun. That's the the the, um, the trick that goes part and parcel with uh, satire is you want as many people to see the satire, but you also want the satire to be satirical, and that means ruffling feathers and being a potentially unpopular opinion. But you can't do that when you're a multi-million dollar international franchise. Uh, so those are my thoughts on the Purge TV show. I can't wait to watch season two and find out what the heck happens in a post-Purge, like, Sunday. Uh, yeah, so let's let's get to my final segment where I get to rate this show on a scale of one to five thumbs. Two. I'm giving it two thumbs. Too many flashbacks. Two for too many flashbacks. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to give those thumbs to Jane Barber, who, like I said, was my favorite. She was probably the only, I was watching this a lot <laughs> uh, during, um, you know, during quarantine. And so I wasn't like paying super close attention to every shot. But when Jane's stories were happening, that's when my eyes were glued to the screen. So I'm definitely going to give Jane a thumb. And I'll have to give that last thumb to Jenna, Hannah Emily Anderson. So um, for Jane, I got to give it to Amanda Warren. But for Jenna, I got to give it to Hannah Emily Anderson, who shows this like this really difficult. I don't even want to call it like bisexual uh, conflict. It's so much more than that. It's 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 a it's a like relationship struggle with money involved on another scale in a fantasy world where anyone could kill anyone at any time. That's a pretty engaging story. If the whole th- if you made a whole show that was just about their freaky dynamic and the rich people, like I could have followed Rick and Jenna for uh, a whole season, I think. But Jenna's the one that keeps me there. Rick is um, not getting a thumb. And that is The Purge. Thank you for listening once again to this episode of The Gory Days. Tune in next week for another episode. In the meantime, you should go listen to The Martian Broadcast. It's this awesome podcast that is a radio play style that tells the story of the week leading up to Orson Welles' War of the Worlds broadcast. Uh, You should check that out wherever you're listening to this podcast. Otherwise, like I said, tune in next week. Follow at The Gory Days. Send me an email at thegorydayspodcast at gmail.com. But most importantly, stay scary out there. The Gory Days.